your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Tuesday of Lacrosse Talk PM, the last day of January. We're two days from Groundhog's Day, one of the most celebrated days in the Lacrosse School District, right, Jesse? That would be right. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jesse Martinez. He's a Lacrosse Education Association president. Otherwise known to me, I just it's easier to just say the teachers' union president. Uh, he's a Logan Middle School teacher, a seventh grade science teacher, and so, and social uh, seventh grade science, social studies, and Spanish immersion. Uh, this is your eighth year, I believe, as long as my notes are still correct. Um, been a couple. I think the last time you were on were right around Thanksgiving. So um, that is correct. So I always like to bring this up right away when we have you on. Anyone brought you an apple lately? You know what? We're actually getting closer, Rick. Um, <laughs> for Christmas, one of my one of the little gifts I got from a student was Jolly Ranchers, and there was a green apple Jolly Rancher in there. <laughs> did, you, did you leave it on your desk? Just put it on the side, like you know, like the, <laughs> just leave that one right there. Green apple, got I did it. Not. Now, if, I did it, not, but I should have. Now, if somebody were to bring you an apple, like what would be preference here? If you could be selfish about it. You know, I, I I'm a big Granny Smith apple fan. Okay, so the green so the green Jolly Rancher was close. It was close. It was close. Because those <laughs> taste so much like Granny Smith apples. They are, well, the flavor is uncanny, really. <laughs> it is uncanny. That's one way to describe it. Uh, coming up on the show, Jesse's going to spend the hour with us. We want to talk about the upcoming school referendum. I want to talk about the lacrosse school board elections. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. Um, I want to talk about possibly school lunch debt, the teacher shortage, uh, voucher schools versus public education. Uh, they're getting to the bottom of my list. Banning books, uh, teacher conditions. But before we get to any of that, Jesse, can you just break down what a typical day in the life of a teacher is like? Because you you guys only work seven hours a day and you get a lunch <laughs> and you get a prep period. So you're only working like five and a half hours a day. Like like eight o'clock to three with an hour and a half break in there. <laughs> I wish. I wish that's what it was like. If you could um, hang up your would, phone right there, I that would be it, funny. Like, I, I think I think that if that was what teaching was like, we would not be having the teacher shortage that we have right now. Um, really, I get to school. I mean, our contract time starts about five minutes before the students walk in the front doors. So most teachers you see will get to school at least 15 to 20 minutes before their contract time so they can get in their rooms and get set for the day. Um, And then you have, I mean, any number of things throughout the day, right? Depending on what your schedule is, you're teaching five classes, you have a prep period, you do have a lunch, but that prep period might be taken up by a meeting. Maybe I have to meet about a new student that's coming to my classroom. Maybe I have to meet about the data from the latest assessments that we gave our students to make plans for what we're supposed to do next. Um, And then I still have to figure out how to plan what I'm going to teach for the coming days. Um, And I have to grade the work that comes in. And we're working on moving to standards-based grading. So, I mean, (laughs) there's any number of things that we're doing throughout the day. Oh, yeah, it might be good to talk about that. Man, we need a two-hour show. Can you just, like, prep period, what, like, it's, the, the name says prep, so you're prepping for maybe the next day, but, like, really, are you doing, like, prep period, your students come in there and ask you questions. It's like office hours, isn't it? Um, It, de- it depends on the period. Um, There are some periods that are, are designated as, like, prep periods for meetings. So we'll meet as, like, a seventh grade team or a science team, 
And then there's um, there's different prep periods where kids might have a study hall and might pop in. Um, but it's really not supposed to be like office hours. It's okay. supposed to be dedicated time for us to get our stuff together. It doesn't always turn out to be that way, though. And when you say you get a lunch, do you get a lunch or do you are you getting bugged during lunch? You, you know what? I'm very, very, very personally as a teacher, I'm very intentional about taking my lunch. Mm-hmm. So I actually leave my room during lunch and I go down to the to the teacher's lounge and I eat my lunch down there with several colleagues. Um, but it's I mean, teachers have different preferences, right? I know I'm definitely an extrovert. I like to sit down there with my colleagues and chat. I have several colleagues who are like, whoa. I need to, like, have some alone time and recharge in this quiet <laughs> before the kids come back from lunch and I have to teach again. So um, some teachers are, are in their room. Some teachers are not. Typically in, at the middle school level, the kids aren't really up by us. They're down in the lunchroom and then they're out at recess. So I don't get a whole lot of interruptions during my lunch, but I know that's very different at the elementary level. That's for sure. Yeah, and lunch is like 25 minutes, right? Yeah, it's a 30-minute lunch. Okay, yep. 30, 30 minutes. Uh, well, if you get the kids off to lunch and ba- you get down and start eating, yeah, 25 minutes is probably accurate. Right. <laughs> 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. If you got a question for Lacrosse Education Association President Jesse Martinez, also a middle school teacher, um, science and social studies seem like two different things when you're talking about the things that you teach. Um, did you have to, like educate yourself like go to college and, and study two different like you know, i don't know major in two different subjects there or is it kind of um, so the the te- i have two different teaching licenses so i have a teaching license that allows me to teach first grade through eighth grade i can teach any content and that's because the teacher prep program that i did um was very intentional about including um, methods classes for all of the core subjects, so science, social studies, math, and language arts. Um, and then I also have a, an additional teaching license that allows me to teach Spanish kindergarten through 12th grade. Okay. Um, all right, so i got to take a break. Brad's got to do the news. Come back. I want to talk about school board elections, the referendum, $60 million going on the April ballot, uh, essentially six years, $60 million for the school's um, that that directly affects you guys, right? That referendum. Yes, it does. As as teachers, I should say. And then um, I have an idea I want to float at you when it comes to Wisconsin's seven billion dollar budget sh- surplus in terms of the teacher shortage. Or maybe getting you an app on your desk. But we'll be back. All right. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to get in here. Jesse Martinez, the Teachers Union President, the Lacrosse Education Association President. LEA is the uh, acronym there. He's also a middle school teacher at Logan. Um, it, just, it just dawned on me, Logan Middle School, you're going to get some more kids here come next year, right? We've consolidated a little bit. That has been the decision of the school board, yeah. So it sounds like uh, at the end of this summer, Lincoln will no longer be a school, and there will be some consolidation. For, so kids will go to either Longfellow Middle School, Logan Middle School, or they can choice into the Lacrosse Polytechnic School. Have you have you gotten any feedback from anybody, either teachers or parents or even students, in that regard? Um, I think there's a lot of really mixed feelings out there. There's a lot. First and foremost, of sadness 
I think surrounding the closure of Lincoln as a neighborhood school, um, I totally understand that. I think that's 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 kind of the the most deeply felt and widely felt feeling right now is that people are just very very sad to see Lincoln go. Um, I think amongst staff, there's also kind of a sense of there's a sense of of like oh no, chaos is coming. <laughs> um, just to figure out what's going to happen, what staff is going to need to be shuffled around, how many kids are going to be in each building, what are we going to be teaching next year, who's going to be teaching where. Um, but I think there's also kind of a sense of we've been talking about this possibility of consolidation. It's kind of been on the horizon. Um, it sounds like since even before I was in the district, and there's a little bit of a sense of okay, we've pulled the we've we've ripped the bandaid off, and now we can figure out what's next and do what's best for our families and our kids. Now that the decision has been made by the school board and the district. Yeah, we have to start the ball rolling somehow, and and the and decisions, tough decisions, had to be made, and and now we've made one as opposed to just kind of pushing, kicking the can. I suppose. I suppose. Um, Absolutely. Along the same lines, the the new high school option that was another, uh, you know, you were gonna you were almost gonna lose your middle school, right? You were going to move into one of the two high schools if the new high school referendum option uh, came about, but we're not doing that. There's a different referendum now on the upcoming election. Does the teachers union how do, does the teachers union have a like an opinion on that? The sixty million dollars over the next six years for an operational referendum that voters will vote on. Yeah, so that's a really great question. So first and foremost, very clearly right now the LEA has not taken a position. Um, There will be a discussion about that coming up, and I'll talk about this more when we talk about the school board race as well. Um, There will likely be a conversation about whether to support this operational referendum. Um, This referendum is much, much different from what was on the table in November. this is an operational referendum that essentially will, will function to cover the cost of operating as a district and be able to cover some of this $3.5 million budget deficit that our district is facing and just ensure we limit the number of, of jobs that might possibly be lost if this doesn't pass um, and, and things of that nature. So there will definitely be a discussion about, it, about supporting this referendum from the teachers union. And obviously the school board voted on that last week, Monday. So a week and a day ago, they voted to put that on. Correct. That was, and that was the deadline. That was the last day. And I'm sure there were conversations leading up to that. I don't know if you're involved in those conversations with the school board. I don't know if the school board members reach out to people like you or other teachers. Hey, what do you guys think going into voting on that? Um, does that happen? Um, that's a great question as well. Uh, so every, I think it's every other school board meeting, or may, it might be every school board meeting, I can't remember. After the meeting, there's a workshop. Yep. Um, it's called a Board of Education Workshop, and that is open to the public. That is like anybody who is part of the community can come and be a part of that. those workshops. I've been to several. Um, I know several of my executive team members have been to them as well when I'm not able to be there. Um, and yeah, we talked about a referendum at a couple of the workshops leading up to, um, so like following the November referendum failing, there was conversations in workshops a couple of times, two or three times leading up to the, the vote on last Monday night. Yeah. Cause if the referendum doesn't pass, there's going to have to be some deep cuts and it might affect 
teachers, right? Like you, we could lose teachers, well, maybe. And, and not even. I, I mean, yes, absolutely. I, I think the thing to keep in mind is it's going to affect even more what your schools look like, right? You're going to have this mass loss of not just teachers, but administrators, support staff, custodians, cooks. Like, there's going to have to be cuts across the board. And when you look at our budget as a district, 80% of the budget is salaries. So when they need to make big cuts, they have to come from that salary portion of the budget because it's the biggest portion of the budget. So it would be very deeply, deeply felt if this referendum didn't pass. The lacrosse uh, school board race also obviously on the ballot. That's on the ballot next, just coming up. There's a we're, we have nine people running, and then eight. Uh, we'll cut it down to eight in uh, February 21st, and then in April we'll cut it down to four from eight. Uh, how does the lacrosse education association um, handle school board races? Well, for a, for a while, for a long time, quite frankly, the LEA did not really play in school board races. Um, and did not really um, have conversations about school board races. Um, now, over the last few years, with um, some instances across the state and across the country of school boards making decisions to ban books or, or tell teachers what they can and can't do in their classroom, we've started to pay a lot more attention to the school board and so right now, um, about three weeks, almost three weeks ago, I sent out to every single one of the nine school board candidates, um, I sent out a questionnaire that they can fill out um, that will give us some input on how they would function as a school board member. And then our executive team will review those responses and decide whether or not we're going to make any endorsements or recommendations. All right, and yeah, it's 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 kind of a big race because we're going to have four new members because four right. incumbents aren't rerunning. So you know, half the school board will be completely new because I, I don't know if any of them, I don't know if any of the candidates now have had prior school board experience, but they haven't. You know, they they aren't on the board now, so that you know, it's pretty important. Absolutely, it's a it's a huge race, and and the school board is definitely an integral part of making positive change in our school district. And we see ourselves as the union as a, as a part of that positive change that we can have moving forward. So we want to get a feel for who, who wants to be on the board, why they want to be on the board, and what their priorities are. Yeah, and, and you say you used to not get involved, not you particularly, but the teachers union didn't used to get involved. That's almost, it's kind of, that, to me it seems kind of silly that you would never get involved into finding out who's running for school board because it directly affects you. Uh, I, I understand like times have changed and things are getting, you know, like a, a lot of things are coming to light in, in that mm-hmm. regard. But, but, but it is kind of funny that you, you didn't used to get involved. I would, I would agree with you. And I, and I'm glad that our membership is, is definitely paying attention to, to who's running now and who's, who wants to be on the board and what their priorities are. I think it's a very important thing for us as educators to be plugged into who's running our school district. Now you sent out a questionnaire. I don't. You said about three weeks ago. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so I sent it out. Oh boy, I don't remember the well, date. Not not well, this past. So not this past Friday, but the Friday before that. Okay. I sent out all the questionnaires. Um. So it'll be three weeks on Friday since I sent it out. Okay. Um, we're, we're doing the same thing, and I was. I'm kind of curious as to 
what what happens? How have you gotten responses from everybody? And then what do you do with the responses? So um, the last I checked of the nine candidates, and I have sent several reminders to every single candidate as well, like, A, our deadline for submitting their responses to the questionnaire is tomorrow at 5 p.m. So school board candidates, if you're listening, <laughs> get your questionnaire filled out and turned in by 5 p.m. tomorrow if you want to be considered. Um, but we will close the survey at 5 p.m. I believe last I checked there was four or five responses um, to the survey of the nine candidates. And then what I'll do is I will send out all of the responses to my executive team. They will, will have a kind of like a ranking system and we'll, we'll discuss the candidates and whether or not we want to make an endorsement. If they're all wonderful, perfect candidates, we won't make an endorsement. If we feel like some would better serve our district than others, then we might make an endorsement. Um, and then just in, in general, like the school board, I, f- I feel like a lot of people you know, like don't really know. Uh, school board meetings are super boring, Jesse. I've tried to cover them. And you talk about there's a workshop afterwards. I can't imagine like going to the school board meeting as, a, you know, somebody on the board or somebody in the school district that's, you know, cares about this stuff and then going, oh, now we're going to do a workshop for, you know, what, an hour or a couple of hours? Oh, good. I just, that's my whole Monday. Like there's football on or something. Um, but, <laughs> but obviously these things are important and these things directly affect you. So is there, is there like a, you know, this is what we this is what we expect from a school board, just in general. Not not that you know, I don't know, like or can you define what, what is important to to be on the school board? I mean, I think there's there's really three to four things that we look for that are really clear indicators of a strong school board member, right? A strong school board member supports teachers doing their jobs that they are trained professionals to do in their classrooms. They support um, finding creative solutions to budgetary issues, and they support um, making sure that, that all students have access to the resources they need to be successful. And, and by extension, ensuring stu- that teachers have the resources that they need within their classroom to, to successfully and effectively educate the students that walk through the doors. All right, you got that written down right there, it sounds like. <laughs> I good. wish I did. I, I should have written it down as I said it. No, it was good. That was a great answer. I can't believe that you just you, you throw that off the top of your head. Um, keeping with elections, and we got about three minutes here before break, does the, uh, does the teachers' union care about other elections? I, I mean, it's stupid to say that because everybody cares about elections in their own regard. Like, personally, I know you have your feelings about elections, but do, do elections get discussed as part of the lacrosse education association? Like, for example, a Wisconsin Supreme Court race that could affect schools at some point. I don't know if it will at this point. I don't. I don't know if there's anything that might get to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. But do you guys, how do you guys get involved in that and something like that? Well, so the lacrosse education association. Well, we don't directly make endorsements in Supreme Court elections or governors' races or congressional races or anything like that, yeah. that's all at the purview of the state union. Um, but absolutely, educators care what happens in this, in this Supreme Court election, right? It, it has bearings on, on what types of laws can be passed, what types of maps are out there um, for, for our districting, and so on and so forth. There's long-lasting implications to this, 
to this um, Supreme Court election coming up. Yeah, even like voter access and ballots and vote and like the, the access to voting right. stuff like that. Okay, so the state you, the state teachers union kind of takes effect. Do you, do you how do you guys communicate with each other then the 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 lacrosse teachers union and then the the state union? I don't know. Do you go with them with like some bullet points or what? Well, so we're all affiliated, right? Yeah. So there's the National Education Association, the Wisconsin Education Association Council, and then all the locals across the state, right? And there are different manners of, like, we also have regions. So, like, our region president coordinates the locals and then communicates with, with the state union. Um, but really, there's, there's local leaders meetings that convene once a month where we're able to get information from the state union. We're able to present our issues and brainstorm solutions and all of that. Um, but, yeah, once there's a decision made by the state teachers union, all of that information will get then sent out to, to all of the locals across the state. Um, and they can choose to share that however they see fit. Jesse Martinez is the Lacrosse Education Association president, otherwise known as the Teachers Union president. Uh, this is your this is your first term doing that, right, Jesse? Like term? This quote. is yes. This is I. I am not even a year in yet. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you think it's going? I've I think I've bugged you at least three or four times. So there's that. But like <laughs> everything else, I mean, you you were the assistant uh, uh, Teachers Union president before that. I don't know if assistant's the correct term, but it's not like this. You were thrown at this without any uh, knowledge of how things work. Right. I was John. John Havlicek served as president for eight years before I, I took over this summer. Um, and I served as his vice president for like three and a half or four of those years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? Transitioning into this role has been a lot, right? Like there's a lot going on in our district right now between the referendum in the fall and the negotiations last summer and this negotiation and the referendum that's on the ballot this spring and the school board election and <laughs> so there's and middle school consolidation. <laughs> so there's a lot out there and it's been quite honestly a little overwhelming. But I've got a really good team of folks around me. John's been continuously super, super helpful. Um and I'm I'm lucky to be a part of one of the bigger locals in the in the state. So yeah, and you're in your eighth year of teaching. Do you ever and Havlicek's like thirty years, we'll just guess, we'll just say it like that. Uh, Round it up. <laughs> and when you say he's been really, really helpful, but do you also do you also go? Thanks, John. Thanks for your help, and also thanks for stepping down right before all of this stuff because this is all <laughs> kind of bleep that hit the fan right before he stepped out or right after he stepped out. Yeah, he had pretty good timing, didn't he? <laughs> Savvy veteran that Havlicek, I think. Savvy veteran. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about. Um, here's a couple of things I got. Lunch debt. We we had a number through October. Lunch debt in Lacrosse school, school districts fourteen thousand dollars. I want to know uh, the teachers union uh, take on that. Teacher shortage. We there's a pretty big discussion here to have on on the teacher shortage. I threw teacher conditions in there. I don't know if uh, we want to talk about that. Um, you mentioned banning books. We'll see if we get to that. But and then also the argument in the state right now with the budget surplus. There's a couple different conversations to have with budget surplus. But one of them is voucher schools versus public education. When we come back, Jesse Martinez. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line. Jesse Martinez, the Lacrosse Education Association president. Do you guys say like Leah? Or do you do you say LEA? No, or do, we say LEA. LEA. Because <laughs> it would be weird. We're, yep. I'm the Leah president. Who's no, Leah? That's not how we go. Um, 
Okay, and and Jesse is also a Logan Middle School teacher. He's going to get more students, I would assume, come next year, uh, based on the the closing of of Lincoln Middle School. Uh, was that a surprise at all? That that vote was. I mean, the vote was on the agenda, so we knew it was going to happen. Uh, did did it surprise anybody there? That like, oh, they voted and it's closed. It's closing. Um, I don't think it surprised anybody. I think there was maybe some hope that they would delay the vote or delay the closure for a year. Um, and all it sounds like, I mean, I was at the school board meeting. Um, the school board discussed all of those different options and really, in the end, kind of landed on, we just need to make a decision so that we can move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think it was overly shocking to anybody, but I think just the finality of it was definitely... It evoked a lot of emotion, as I absolutely it does. Yeah, that building is uh, as old as older than WIZM. WIZM is celebrating its 100th year on the air uh, this month, and I think Lincoln Middle School is older than that. <laughs> so it's an old building. Yeah, Lincoln was built. It's I think it's the oldest middle school building. It was built in the early 1900s. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I wonder if it's. I wonder if it ranks as like the oldest in use building in the state. I wonder where it ranks. Yeah, I don't know. Um, all right, so let me see. Let me think here. I was gonna. I had something else on Lincoln, but I totally forgot. You were talking, then I, I had to get my joke in. That's what happened there. Um, let's just do. Let's see. Let's lunch, Dad. I wrote a story a couple months ago. I talked to Brad Bryan. Yeah. He he runs the um, the food pantry out of Central High School. And I, do you have? Does every school have like a little food pantry like that? Um, every school does it differently, but yeah, absolutely. At Logan Middle, we have a food pantry and a clothes closet. Um, and I think it's at every like third or fourth Thursday of the month, we do food deliveries around to our families. So um, there's always big grocery bags, and you go grab your grocery bags, and you go and deliver to a family. Yeah, it's one. Um, of, it's one. Every school does it differently. Yeah, it's interesting too, right? It's one of those things that nobody. I don't think a whole lot of people know this. Like, A, there's a bunch of food pantries in all the schools. B, they get used all the time because food short, because people are struggling. And C, you guys do these other th- outreach things when it comes to getting people food. I mean, this it's kind of insane. Yeah. Yeah, we have a, we have a, a staff member in our building. It's a couple of staff members, but one specific point person who actually coordinates all of the families and, and what goes where. And, I mean, it's a whole... It's almost like another full-time job for that person to coordinate, and they do it um, for little to no extra compensation. Yeah, I was going to say. It's something that we do to make, make sure our families have what they need, right? Yeah, and lunch debt through, through uh, October, I believe, was at $14,000. So that was the numbers I got from the school district, which is, is a little bit a little bit higher than, than past lunch debts. And that could have gone down. Some people could have paid that off since then. I know that, but... Um, I don't know. Do you guys do you guys do you do you guys pay attention to lunch debt? We have to have like weird groups like the beer by bike brigade. Not weird, but in terms of a bunch of beer drinking bike riders we that are paying off our school lunch debt. Um and you know, this issue was solved two was it before last summer. Um and it now it's right, an issue again. It, it it actually was solved kind of at the outset of the pandemic when people started to return back to school in person. Um and may, actually, a lot of it started in the middle of the pandemic when people were at home mm-hmm. so that food could be delivered like school buses were going. I remember the beginning of the pandemic, I went out in like my full face 
visor with my mask on and my gloves on, and we went out in school buses, and we would hand out meals out of school buses on French Island. Um, but that, And that kind of came from there was, like, grants and other monies that were passed by the federal government that covered all school lunches and school breakfasts for the last two years, three years. I can't remember exactly how long. Um, and that ended at the beginning of the school year. That ran out. Yeah, school lunch debt right now, or through October, it could be different now because these numbers are maybe two months old, $14,000. So it's, it, kind of, it kind of is interesting. In 2017, lunch debt was $5,000 at the end of the year. 2018, 7,500. 2019, 10,000. 2020, 11,000. And then 2021 and 2022, no lunch debt because of free meals. Uh, we talk about a budget surplus in Wisconsin. Uh, we could maybe figure out a way to to fund this for a couple of years anyway. Absolutely. And I mean, really what it comes back to is putting it back on our legislators in Washington, D.C. Um, I know there are some of our legislators who are absolutely on board with essentially codifying that that ESSER money, that, that, that emergency COVID money that came to school to pay for this, codifying that and just extending that program indefinitely um, as part of federal law. Um, but then there are others who are not interested in doing that. Can you, I know you can tell if a kid hasn't, I don't know, like what is, what is your relation while you, as a teacher in, in terms of knowing that a kid isn't eating? Can you tell, do you have to, I mean, how does that work? Like, you know what, this kid's a little off today. Maybe you need something to eat or is there a conversation? Do you talk to parents? How does, how does this relation work when you kind of figure out that it, to figure out if a kid's getting enough food? I mean, so obviously we know all kids are different, right? And as a teacher, part of your job is to get to know your kids, right? Our district especially is focused on relationship building and making sure you know the kids that are coming in and out of your classroom. And so in order, part of knowing that kid is knowing when they're off, right? And you don't know why they're off, but being able to have that relationship with that kid to be like, hey, I can tell like, what's going on? I can tell something's wrong. And, and tr- that kid having trust in you to say, you know, oh, I didn't eat breakfast this morning, or oh, we didn't get food this week. And, and that happens more often than one might think. And when that happens, I'm able to go either, okay, I got granola bars back here, here, have a couple of granola bars. Or I can say, hey, we got some extra breakfast up there, go grab some extra breakfast. Yeah. You know, and, and that was more common when free free breakfast and free lunch was provided to all students. Now it's a little more challenging because it's been kind of put back on us to, to have some of that backup food in our classrooms and find ways to get it. So, yeah. What about What if we just invested in you, you go to the grocery store they have the just rotisserie chicken station, maybe just have one of those in the school at all times. We could pay for one of those. <laughs> that would be wonderful. I'm sure that I can tell you right now, seventh grade students would absolutely take advantage of a rotisserie chicken. Yeah, you just have like a little rotisserie chicken break. Everyone goes to the back of the classroom. <laughs> the only problem is it's going to get pretty greasy pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, all your homework, every home grade, every paper you grade's got like sticky, gross chicken goo on it. <laughs> uh, maybe chicken bones on the ground all over the place. And uh, you know what? Your kids might be a little sleepy, too, if they put down a whole rotisserie chicken, which you know some, well, some middle true. schoolers cut. That's true. <laughs> then you have the opposite problem. They're sleeping because they're hungry. Now they're sleeping because they ate a whole rotisserie chicken. Right. Okay. So, bad, probably not, not a great idea then. 
Um, um, let's move on to, okay, so we, we mentioned the budget surplus. I didn't mention how much it is. It's $7.1 billion projected. The state legislature is fighting over what to do the, with this. And not, not so much yet voucher schools versus public education, but when you talk about a teacher shortage, you had numbers for me a couple of months ago, maybe multiple, eh, it might've been a couple of shows ago, um, where you could kind of break down how many teachers the district lost. I don't know if you have those numbers or, or not any, at this time, but. I do have an idea of how those numbers change daily. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't have those those most accurate numbers. I can tell you there are open positions around the district, though. Yeah. How how does the lacrosse school district um, alleviate the fact that there's you know you're short teachers? Like like do you just hope that enough subs are are answering the phone to come in that morning? Well, one of the one of the things to keep in mind is that like so for example if. So at Logan Middle, we didn't have a business teacher to start the school year, right? Um, and so that class just doesn't run. It's not offered. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, um, I posed that question wrong because subs would come in when, when a teacher is sick. A sub wouldn't come in and just teach a class. That would be a teacher. Correct. So, right, you're right. Correct. Um, so it, it really, subs and open positions are related, but not super directly. Yep. Um, the open positions, like, so, for example, if you have a business teacher who is not hired at the beginning of the school year, you just don't offer that business class. Yeah. And then kids have less options for their electives. Um, you have an open third-grade teacher position, and there's nobody there to fill it. You, you have a couple of different things that could happen. Number one, you hire a long-term sub, which, good luck, because there's very few people who are subbing right now. Um, or you just don't have that third-grade section and everybody else's class size in third grade gets bigger. Right. Um, all right. So, could we do this? Could we take some of the budget surplus money and offer it as a paid college tuition? Well, we're going to pay people to go get teacher certifications or maybe go get college degrees in teaching. And then when they get those degrees, we keep them in Wisconsin. You have to, if you want to get, uh, uh, Wisconsin funded um, degrees in teaching. Then, when, once you get those degrees, you have to stay in Wisconsin and teach for three years. I don't know if three years is too long or too short, but I don't know. What do you think of that idea? Using some of this budget surplus money creatively to invest in our future, invest in teachers. So, I have a couple of thoughts about that. First of all, I think that's a good first step, right? Now, $7 billion is a lot of money that money can be used for a lot of different things, right? Um, I would imagine that, it, I, I mean, personally, I'm like, yeah, put it all into education. That's what we need. However, $7 billion is a big number, but it's not infinite, right? That money will run out mm-hmm. eventually. And it would be irresponsible to start programs that would move on into the future with a finite sum of money. So if we want to alleviate this, there does need to be some sort of legislation passed to fund our public school system. However, this is a good first step. I think there would have to be some really, um, in my opinion, some some really big stipulations on what type of teacher program you're going into, um, what type of teaching license you're getting, and how you're going to um, choose where you're going to go teach. Well, another factor, too, is I don't know if, I mean, maybe you know this because obviously you you're part of the teachers. You're president of the teachers union. How many teachers are first year teachers? They do it for a while and they're like, 
this is not for me. I'm out. And they're gone. Because if you if the state funds your education to get a teaching degree and you, then you have to stay here for a year or two years or three years, and after a year you're out, then you got to pay the – I feel like you might have to pay the state back for that education because you didn't, um, you know, hit the – hit the benchmark for, for requirements. Um, yeah. What's it like for first year teachers and, and the retention rate, I guess. So in terms of retention, the numbers I know the, and it, quite frankly, it's not even numbers. It's, it's, it's estimates because I don't have the data right in front of me, but the, the most common data shows that if a teacher is going to burn out, they are going to burn out within their first five years of teaching. Um, now research also shows that strong mentorship programs, really like where staff rate a positive school culture, all of those things work towards alleviating teacher burnout along with a reduction in workload, um, an improvement in salary. All of those things bring down that burnout rate um, quite a bit. However, right now in the climate that we're in specifically in Wisconsin with the way public education is funded, um, teachers are having more put on their plates. Teachers are um, being paid less compared to inflation. Um, and so it's not an attractive profession. I love my job. I love going, getting up and going to school every day and working with my seventh graders. They're my favorite part of every day. I love them to death. Um, but, man, am I exhausted when I get home. And it, it just seems to pile on every single day, right? And. I've done this for almost eight years now. I know what I'm doing. And as a first-year teacher coming into that type of climate, this, this grind where you're literally just putting everything you have into this, this job, and then you get done at the end of the day, and you're like, I have no energy to do anything else. There needs to be something that gets done. Yeah, if the state were to fund like teachers, getting teachers educated to, to be part of the workforce, yeah, you also have to fund something to keep the teachers and make the schools a little bit better, alleviate some of the workload, uh, make the job more fun. Uh, there's a right. balancing there act there. There needs to be something that we have that makes teaching an attractive profession again. Because right now you see this whole idea of of basically, I don't even know how to say it, right, of of, of essentially unpaid labor, right, is what drives schools right now. And so um, when people see that, they don't want to go into teaching. And teaching needs to be this fun, exciting profession again where people know that they're going to be able to make a livable salary. They know they're going to be able to, to unplug at the end of the day. They don't have a thousand things to bring home because they had meetings during all of their prep periods. And they have the ability to, to really develop themselves into quality teachers within the district that they're in. Yeah, we talked about at the beginning of the show, you said that your contract says you essentially you guys punch in about 15 minutes before the school day starts. That's when your contract starts. You don't literally punch in, obviously. Um, and then does that thing end like a half hour after the school day ends? Because I don't I don't imagine any teacher goes home and goes, I'm done for the day. I will enjoy the rest of the day from, what, 3 p.m. on, and then I'm back 15 minutes before the next school day tomorrow to do it all over again. Nothing to do, no homework for teachers. Yeah, each, each school, depending on their schedule, their contract time is a little bit different. Um, but essentially my, my contract day starts about 15 minutes before the kids get there, 
and then ends about 35 minutes, 30 minutes or so after they leave. Um, Now, elementary teachers have a little bit more, because their student contact day is a little shorter, they have a little more time on either end of the day, which is then used because they don't have a lot of prep time built into their student contact day. So, like, my prep periods happen while the kids are at school, just not in my classroom. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen as much at the elementary school, so their prep happens during other parts of their contract time. Um, but, But even with all that being said, right, I have papers sitting on my kitchen counter right now that I need to go grade after I hang up the phone. Right? right. Exactly. I have emails that I need to go respond to from administrators or parents or whoever that I need to go take care of after I hang up the phone here. Right. Yeah, never. It, ne- it could never end. You almost have to go, okay, I'm technically I'm going to punch out or not technically. I'm going to I'm going to unplug here at 5 uh because you could. Um I just want to throw two things out. You you mentioned this before, but what about like the notion that we shouldn't have kids shouldn't have homework? Is that ever discussed? Is that kind of a goofy idea? I mean, so if I'm talking about myself personally as a professional educator, I don't really give homework. Um, we the activities that I see as the most important things that the kids are going to learn, we do within my classroom. And they have time to do them within my classroom because then if they need support on that, I can give them that support because I'm the person that's expecting them to do that. Um, now, there are some benefits to, to other types of homework, right? I know a lot of um, English and reading and writing and language arts teachers are probably yelling at me through the radio right now that reading at home is important homework. I absolutely agree with that. Um, my wife is a fourth-grade teacher. She she gives... She tells kids to read at home every single night. So do all of my seventh grade um, language arts colleagues. They tell their kids to read at home every night. Now, in terms of doing projects and things like that, I build in that time in my classroom because I think that those things are important and I want to make sure that they have the opportunity to do it correctly. All right. That's Jesse Martinez, the Lacrosse Education Association president. He's looking for donations to start this rotisserie chicken idea in the back of every classroom. Uh, Thanks, Jesse. (laughs) Appreciate it, man. We'll see you. Yeah, have a good one, Rick. All right. One more break. We'll wrap up. All right, that's going to wrap it up for Lacrosse Talk PM today. Thank you again to Jesse Martinez, Lacrosse Education Association president, and for y'all for listening. Tomorrow we're going to talk science with Spencer Wilkin, UWL outreach specialist. Check it out. Hit you with no delaying, so what you